Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck Toll Free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Freestyle Friday begins, but we've got a lot of news to talk about today. Uh, The breaking news, in fact, that just happened in the last, uh, well, just happened within an hour or so of me going on air here. Um, Another shakeup at the White House. Priebus, Reince Priebus is out. And General Kelly, who had been DHS uh, head, he is, in fact, now the chief of staff for the White House. So that's what that's the some of the the big news from today of course we've got to talk about health care um i I mean that's going to take up a lot of our time today and whatever else you've got on your mind i should note 844-900-BUCK 844-900-2825 the the white house palace intrigue stuff is moderately interesting to me i do think it's fair to ask the question what exactly is going on uh, it, I, I don't mean with this White House in terms of what they're trying to do across the country. I mean, what's going on inside the White House? You know, there's, it does seem to be a little unsettled. Um, and it's been quite a week for reporters on this. You had uh, the new White House communications director, Anthony Scaramucci, uh, getting much more attention than I think he even anticipated in his first 48 hours or so. As White House comms director, you had the resignation of Sean Spicer, resignation in, in protest at some level. And uh, now you've had Reince Priebus pushed out. By the way, I will note, I said yesterday on the show, Priebus is going to be, I mean, I don't think this was a hard call to make, but Priebus was clearly, uh, his days His days as the White House chief of staff were numbered. Um, now we have to wonder, is, is Bannon next? I think that's the question a lot will be asking. I, I've been telling you, Sessions... People said, oh, they sent Sessions down to, where is he? He's in Central America somewhere. Uh, He's out of the country. They sent him there uh, not, I think, so that they could get ready to get rid of him. I think they sent him there to let things cool down, and then we'll bring him back, and things will go back. Well, not normal. I don't know what normal is with this White House. But anyway, all of that, we can talk more about it. All of that is secondary to the fact that uh, the, the GOP is in the midst of an existential crisis, Right now, today, right here, GOP is in an existential crisis. It does not have a particularly compelling answer. I don't even know if it has an answer to what do you do that the Democrats don't do? Why are you better for the American people than the Democrat Party? Sure, you tell us that there's a lot of stuff that you want to do that would be better, you, you say you share conservative principles with us. You say that the Republican Party is about constitutionalism and limited government and ethics and morality. You say all of those things. But then when push comes to shove, when the hour is upon us for action to be taken and for those actions to speak much louder than any words could, 
What do we get? Well, we get this. Those were gasps from the moment that Senator John McCain decided to resurrect Obamacare. Obamacare could have been gone, um, but or at least on its way to being gone. But now I, I think we do have to accept a reality where it's here. It's not going away anytime soon. I don't know what it will take. Um, people keep saying, let it collapse, let it collapse. No, that's not going to work. That's not the way this will play out. There will be cash infusions from the taxpayer. Are we really going to say that the federal government has created a health care system that forces people to buy into exchanges and they can't? it's not even possible to be a resident of a certain state, of several states at this point, where you can buy such a health care policy? No. What they will do is they will shovel tax. They will throw taxpayer cash at the problem. The, uh, the hose, the spigot of money, taxpayer money, will be turned on to save this thing. It's not going to collapse in a way that brings us closer to free markets. It's going to deteriorate slowly, and with that deterioration will come increased political pressure to fix it as is. But let me get back to what happened before I get into where it's going. I, I know I'm already going down that path. Um, you had Senator John McCain, who came back to a, a literal hero's welcome in D.C., voted with his fellow Republicans, on the motion to proceed to bring to the floor the, the ability to actually get going on something for health care, right? And then we had a couple of days here where it was all about skinny repeal. But before I get into what ended up happening here, the, the specifics of the event, let's remember what Senator John McCain, when he wanted to continue to be Senator John McCain, what he said to the American people. You know, the message is this health care bill, repeal and replace, repeal and replace, repeal and replace, repeal and replace, repeal and replace. And then if you don't, we're going to repeal them. We will stop the out of control spending and tax increases and repeal and replace Obamacare. Repeal and replace Obamacare said it time and time again, in fact, claimed on campaign posters for re-election for Senate that he was leading the fight, leading the fight, front of the line, in the vanguard, tip of the spear to repeal and replace Obamacare. Now, I know that Senator McCain has um, much more of a uh, much more of a political shield than many others in the Senate because of his uh, inc incredibly honorable service to the country. But we're talking about health care now, and this has nothing to do with his service. It really does. This debate has nothing to do with his service to the country. This is about health care. This is about millions of people who may not be able to get health care, are going to now be sitting in doctor's uh, waiting rooms, wondering if they're going to be able to pay for the services that they will get, or going to be staying up late at night, wondering whether they're going to be paying the medical premiums they have to to keep their family insured and covered, 
or just be late on the rent and hope they don't get evicted or late on the mortgage and hope they don't get foreclosed on. This affects people. This is pain for people. In some cases, many cases, will be literal physical pain and perhaps even worse, economic anxiety. The wrong decision here has consequences. And you can say that, you know, well, Buck, you can argue this either way, and he did what he thought was right. No, he made a promise. He gave his word. That's what standing up and chanting and saying, vote for me, I'm leading the fight, I'm leading the fight. He lied. He lied. He wanted to be the senator from Arizona still, and he lied. Bottom line. I I read his tweet today about how all the, I wanted to repeal, but the replacement bill wasn't good enough for the, no, I'm sorry. They could have easily repealed this and uh, replaced it in, in a series of different bills. I mean, it doesn't matter. He promised repeal and replace, and it was all just a ruse. So let's just come to grips with that. And you've got Collins and Murkowski. We all, we all knew that they're not really Republicans. Fine. We get that. That's been clear for a while. Um, but Senator McCain, uh, I think this, this turned into a, a legacy issue for him. It's notable that you had uh, John Roberts save Obamacare at the Supreme Court and John McCain now save Obamacare in the Senate. And I understand that this was skinny repeal, which I don't even really think we can call repeal, but at least it was something. At least it was a a version of um, what was supposed to what was supposed to happen. What we've seen here is that the Republican Senate is, is useless on health care. They're just useless. And, you know, Ted Cruz, I think, channeled much of the anger today. Um, Here's what he said. Senators are going to go home the next few weeks. They're going to go home to their states. And they're going to face their constituents. They're going to have hard questions of people who look them in the eyes and say, why did you lie to me? And by the way, it's not just going to be the the, the, the senators who voted no. The senators who voted yes are going to be asked, why did you lie to me? Because the voters are not going to distinguish. They're going to say, you guys promised to do this in your favor. Yeah, that is correct. That is correct. By the way, I I saw some report, I don't know how much credibility you want to put it in or not, that McCain voted against this, against skinny repeal, so that other senators who were were hoping to, or, or other senators who didn't want it to pass could vote for repeal and replace, so he was giving them cover. But I would say, but that's, that's uh, to borrow a word for the Democrats, that's collusion in a lie. That's giving them cover they should not have. He shouldn't. And, but I also do, I just have a hard time believing that. I don't believe it. I also think that it's, it's funny to see people try to put this on, uh, on the, at the president's feet. The president said he would sign whatever the Senate passed. You have Republicans in the House and the Senate. You've got Senate, uh, Senate Republicans able to get a majority, get a bill passed, and they couldn't do it. This isn't on the president. This is on Congress. And isn't it interesting that many of us have been told for quite a few months at this point that Donald Trump will betray conservatives. He's, gonna, he's lying to conservatives. He's a con man. He's, he, he's going to betray them. Well, who really is responsible for at least the first major betrayal of conservative principles in the Republican Party? It's not Donald Trump. It's Congress, and it's specifically senators, senators who did not do what they said they would do. Uh, so this is where this is where we are now.
I mean, Mitch McConnell is just stating the obvious, saying it's time. It's time to move on, he says. This is, uh, you know, clearly a disappointing moment uh, from skyrocketing costs uh, to plummeting choices and collapsing markets. Our constituents have suffered through an awful lot under Obamacare. We thought they deserved better. It's why I and many of my colleagues did as we promised and voted to repeal this failed law. We told our constituents we would vote that way. And when the moment came, when the moment came, most of us did. I think the American people are going to regret that we couldn't find a better way forward. Yeah. So now, Mr. President, it's time to move on. Move on to what? You really think it's going to be so much easier to get tax reform done with the Democrats? Taxes allow Democrats to favor constituencies, to engage in massive social engineering, to engage in wealth redistribution, socialism under the guise of social justice. That's what that's what the tax code is. You, you think that's going to be an easy fight? Come on. Democrats are waiting for that one. They are just waiting to be able to talk about how any any tax break, because we have a system that has higher taxes for higher earners, is going to benefit those higher earners more. It's going to benefit corporations, clearly, if we cut the corporate tax rate down to 15 or 20 percent from 30 or 35, wherever it is now. That's all going to happen if they got tax reform, but they're not going to get tax reform. I, I don't know. I don't know what we're supposed to get excited about for the Republican Party. Look at Democrats. They say what you will about them. They know how to wield power. They move as a monolith. They move as a unit. They try to achieve their objectives. Yeah, they their objectives harm the country, and they lie, cheat, and steal to get there, but at least they take action, and they take Dare I say collective action. They do it together with Republicans. It only, yeah, you could say it only took a few buck, but what else are we supposed to do? How are, how, if the Republicans are a party and they can't agree on this, can they agree on anything that's particularly worthwhile other than doing favors for their buddies from the chambers of commerce and various special interests? You know, the, the donor class in D.C. Republicans are great at keeping them happy. But for you, for me, did they do anything worthwhile? They didn't help us out on health care. And by the way, the health care, this is just going to get worse and worse. Single payer now becomes a more compelling option. Certainly more than it was in the past. Why go through all the wrangling over costs and prices and how many different, how many different regulations the government's going to add or pull back or what? Just, just let the government pay the tab for everything, right? Of course, it'll be very expensive, but we'll make we'll make the next generation or the generation after that pay. We'll just run up the national credit card. 20 trillion, 30 trillion. Let's make it 50 trillion. Why not? This is what's going to happen. And, you know, if this turns into the disaster that some of us think it will be, meaning that if we do go down the pathway of, of single payer, you know, we are an economic engine and and a dare I say, a beacon of freedom and liberty for the rest of the world. It doesn't even just affect us. It affects the entire planet. It affects the future of humanity. But, you know, hey, Chuck Schumer's happy about it, so there's that. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. We got, I mean, so much more to talk about. Uh, Stay with me and light up those lines. We'll be right back. 
We should replace and repeal. Repeal and replace. Needs to be replaced. Repeal the law. Repeal the law. To repeal and repeal. Repeal. Repeal it. Repeal the law. It's going to be repealed and replaced. Repeals and replaced. Repealing Obamacare. Reform and replace. Repeals. It needs to be repealed and replaced. Repeal. Repeal and replace. Repeal this. Repeal Obamacare. I oppose Obamacare. Repeal. Repeal it. Repeal it and replace it. Repeal and replace Obamacare. Care. You get the Obama idea. Let's I got to figure if uh, where, wherever President, uh, former President Obama is anywhere in the world, he's got to just be laughing and la- and he has a right to. He has a right to. Republicans just just stumbled just stumbled around on this thing, and you know o- o- Obama could be you know out there in a in a Prius doing donuts on their front lawn. I mean, it's just you know. Victory. I mean, the Democrats should be doing a victory dance. There's no no way around it. Uh, of course, Chuck Schumer saying we're not we're not celebrating. One. We are not celebrating. We are relieved. We are relieved, not for ourselves, but for the American people. We'll get more into what Schumer wants. By the way, going forward, at Schumer. Uh, well, I, I, we, lines are lit in the Freedom Hut. So, and it is Friday. So let's take some calls here. Uh, Bob in Virginia on WPTI. Hey, Bob. Yes, sir. Um, all of this we've seen now that we have Republicans dressed in Democratic clothes. This party stuff is a bunch of baloney now. Uh, I don't know what to say. I'm a 60-year-old man, and I feel for my kids. I really don't know what to think anymore. We've lost complete civility uh you know i'm tired of being the harsh one called and singled out and bullied uh but you know what uh it's just pathetic uh mccain i don't even want to talk about him uh i've always had my opinion i have respect for the you know for his service Uh, i'm a strong supporter of military but you know if this wasn't a setup, I don't know what a setup was. And uh, I'm very, I really am. I, I never thought I could get like this. I am really upset. I am not going to be in any party anymore, but I don't see any avenue. But, you know, it, it, it's just crazy. I don't know what to think. I am lost. And that scares the hell out of me. I will say, Bob, for those who are, um, and look, man, I really appreciate your sentiments. And thank you, uh, Shields High, and thank you for calling in. For those who are saying and have been all along, uh, Trump needs to shake up the system. His approach is is a necessary counterbalance to this. Uh, you know, I, I've certainly had my doubts here and there, but you just had the, the most establishment Republican senator in many ways, in the U.S. Senate, make sure that Obamacare is around probably forever. So the Republican establishment and its way of doing things, I, th- I think we all really know now where, where they stand. I think it's pretty clear. So if we want something else, that something else might seem and act and be quite different. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Five years I've served in the Senate, there's no issue I have fought harder on, devoted more time to, than stopping the disaster that is Obamacare. And mark my words, I am committed to this fight as long as there is breath in my body. 
i will be fighting for the working men and women of this country that are being hurt by obamacare and i believe it will be repealed no party can remain in power by lying to the american people i hope and pray that our party doesn't try to do that i i agree with senator cruz uh, on the sentiments, but the Democrats have been in power plenty of times for plenty of time, and they lie all the time. So now we just see the Republicans lie, too, on the big stuff, you know. If you like her plan, you can keep it. If you like her doctor, you can keep your doctor. Now, that wasn't true, but Obama got reelected. Lying is effective, unfortunately, in politics. Lying really works. And when you're the party of the state, when you're the Democrat party, when you are offering statism when that is your philosophy your governing political philosophy uh, one of the most important things you can do uh, is to lie to people about uh, how much you can give them and also lie to them about how scary everything will be if you don't very effective tactic you lie and say that we'll provide this for you and there will be no cost you lie and say that we'll provide it for you it will be better in fact if we didn't provide it for you you probably couldn't get it you lie and you say that if it wasn't for the state stepping in here, you'd have nothing. There'd be no way for you to get health care. People would be out in the street. They'd be sick. They'd be dying. No one cares. The American people don't care about each other. The private sector and the market, those are all just myths that conservatives tell themselves as they clink their scotch glasses together in the parlor rooms of fancy hotels where they smoke expensive cigars. I mean, it's all a caricature, right? But it works. It works. And what do we have to fight against it? Republicans who are, uh, after today, how could you say anything other than, I, I wish I could sit down with the Republican Party and say, it's not that I'm hurt, I'm just disappointed in you. That's how I feel about the Republican Party right now. Remember when your parents, if either your parents ever said that to you, it was the worst thing ever? You know, yelling at you, you could handle, but, you know, it's not that it's not that I'm mad. I'm just disappointed. And if they really meant it, you're like, ooh, ouch. Uh, you know, son, it's it's uh, I just expected better for you. I'm just disappointed. You know, you go, ooh. Um, so I'm disappointed, I think. I think they're I thought skinny repeal. Well, no, actually, I, I didn't think this was going to work. I, I've told you how many times this week have I said I'm trying not to be cynical. I'm skeptical, but not cynical. I think that's what I said maybe on Monday or Tuesday, but it just I knew. I knew and I knew in part because you've got people in the Senate who call themselves Republicans. They're conservatives when it benefits them. But when they get the opportunity to be written about in glowing terms by The New York Times, you know, ego, vanity, these are very powerful very powerful uh, tools for manipulation of public figures, uh, for, of everybody, but certainly of public figures. You know, the New York Times editorial board put together this at the very bottom of their editorial on what is really the resurrection of Obamacare. I mean, it, it should be on its way out. I know it wasn't going to be a full repeal. I know they already failed on that. But at least it would have been in process and it would have shown that Republicans can do something because if they did something and it worked and it was making things better, then they'd have the political capital to do something else. A phased repeal, full repeal, would not have been necessarily perfect what they promised. I get that. But at least it would have been moving in the right direction instead. I mean, we just 
My friends, we just missed the off-ramp from socialized medicine, and John McCain just hit the gas pedal, my friends. We are he- we are heading now. We're speeding towards single-payer. And, you know, we've got nothing really to slow us down or stop us at this point. How? Why? Oh, it's because Obamacare will fail? I know that Trump is saying this. Look, Trump said last uh, or Trump said that this should have been done. This was last night. They held this vote last night. All the information, all the news came in and Trump is like, yeah, they should have done something. They should have approved health care last night, but you can't have everything. Boy, oh, boy. They've been working on that one for seven years. Can you believe that? The swamp. But we'll get it done. We're going to get it done. You know, I said from the beginning, let Obamacare implode and then do it. I turned out to be right. I admire the president's optimism, but I think he's wrong on this. Uh, the, The worse that Obamacare gets the greater the cries will be for more government intervention and more money and for the people who are left out in the cold. But, you know, the, the latest, by the way, is that hundreds of counties might have no Obamacare insurer in 2018, hundreds of counties across the country. Um, at least 40 counties already are probably going to have no individual uh, exchange offering starting uh, next year. Um but there are a whole bunch more that might have. And by the way, what, that's not even that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's so many more problems than just whether a county offers a plan or not. The plans are mostly crap. They're not good. And people are forced to buy them. And if you're forced to buy one, but you don't get subsidies for it, you are paying a lot in premiums. You have to or else you pay a penalty at tax time. So you're forced to do it. You're paying a lot in premiums, you don't have good doctor access, and you have very high deductibles. And by the way, your deductibles are so high and your doctor access is low because a a good chunk of what you are paying is going to subsidize other people in the exchange. You are paying for other people's health care. That's what is happening, especially the moment that we talk about removing – what is insurance from the equation, meaning that you're paying based on your risk profile. This is all about getting younger, healthier people into the exchange to pay for sicker and older people. That's what the, that's the scheme. That's the brilliant trick, the brilliant maneuver here. And that's how all of these systems are set up. And they haven't been around that long. We're just now seeing the boomer generation getting the full benefits that were set up for it a few decades ago. And they're not going to be around based on the numbers in a few decades for those who are currently carrying the burden. People say, oh, I've been paying into these entitlement programs for decades. Yeah, the average person paying into Medicare will take out twice what he or she paid in. I'm sorry, but that's not paying for it. That's having other people actually pay for a big chunk of it. That is a huge subsidy that younger people are giving to older people. That's all it is. No, no, it's not not politically popular to talk about this stuff in that way, but... That's how it's that's how it's structured. That's what's going on. It is intergenerational theft by the political system, but it's popular. And that Obamacare is all about getting young people to pay more in insurance than they take out in health care. Well, that's not a good deal, is it? But that's how that's how they're going to do it. Brian in North Carolina, WPTI. What's up, Brian? 
Hey, Buck. I uh, hope you can hear me. I'm in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, I'm kind of getting sick of the feel uh, and replace mantra that keeps getting thrown around, even by yourself. The American people did not vote for Congress to We voted them in so that they would repeal it and return us back to a free market system. We don't want the government telling us what to do again. We don't want them telling us how our insurance looks and what we should buy and what should be in it and how old we need to be to buy it and anything. We don't want that. This is America. You're supposed to have choices. You want to go back to a free market system. Now, Brian, I, I, but uh, Brian, and by the way, I think your points are excellent. It's, it's it is a little tough to hear you. So hopefully, we'll have a slightly better signal with you in a second here. But uh, the, the market before Obamacare was not a free market either, my friend. There are a tremendous amount of regulations preventing you from buying the policy you wanted. There's no you you cannot buy policies out of state. Uh, this is the federal government determining via the you know the regulation of interstate commerce what your health care plan will be and what is acceptable and what is not. So th- that's why, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, repeal and replace. We're not saying get rid of Obamacare to give us a better version of Obamacare. But what we really want is get rid of Obamacare and actually get rid of a lot of the other stuff that existed pre-Obamacare. Get rid of Obamacare. And no, you, you, you missed the word, return. Return us to a free market system. And by that, I mean exactly what, what that state, what that, what that means. But we I haven't been in a free market, Brian. That's what I'm trying to tell you. We were not in a free market in healthcare before Obamacare. That's the problem. I know. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that, Buck. I'm saying we were at one point. This country was at one point. We had employed a free market system. That is no longer in place. I totally understand that with regulations and crony capitalism. That is our problem, crony capitalism and regulations. We want a return to a free market system where I can go out and buy something because, hey, I want to buy that. It has the products that I need in it, and I need that, so I'm going to go ahead and buy it. It's worth it to me. It is my choice to do that, and what's in that policy is what I want, not what the government dictates should be in the policy. That's one thing. The other thing, you know, you, you said that John McCain is, is – is, uh, I can't yeah, hear you. Yeah. I want to hear you, Brian. What did you say? Um, I'm, I'm not sure where – I mean, I'm, Brian, I'm so we, we can't we – can't. If if he gets a better connection, he wants to call back and finish. We can take him later, but he's he is in the middle of a field somewhere or something because like I, we can't. He's cracking uh, his connection's no good. I think he's going to say something about John McCain, which reminds me actually, I didn't even finish what I was saying about John McCain. I will do that on the other side of the break. There's New York Times editorial that mentions McCain. Um, I know a lot of you are going to have thoughts on this. I would love to take a lot of calls today. So eight four four nine hundred. Buck, 844-900-2825. Maybe next hour we can do some action movie quotes if you want to just have some fun. But I, I want to know what you think about the health care situation here. More to the point, I want to know what you think about the Republican Party. What, what, what now? We're going we're gonna to do what? We're going to do what exactly? What's going to get done? Maybe great things, but right now it's not looking so good. Quick break. We'll be right back. McCain's defection from his fellow Republicans on this issue of health care that uh, kept Obamacare, to, well, I think has put it on, taking it off life support, and now Obamacare is <laughs> for the foreseeable going to be the way things are. This New York Times editorial that I mentioned before ended, this from the editorial board of the New York Times, so, you know, from the lair of Satan and Satan himself, uh, here's what it says. After this failure, Republicans must figure out whose example they will follow. They can adopt Mr. Trump's call for yet another scorched earth campaign, or they can listen to the likes of John McCain about the benefits of bipartisanship and cooperation. Well, that's nice for that's nice for Senator McCain, isn't it? But for 
the people who can't afford their premiums, can't get health care policies, and for all of us, by the way, who have way too much government intrusion and regulation of our health care, who suffer because of bureaucrats who think they know better when it comes to our health care plans, who stifle the market, who prevent innovation, all of this because of people who make decisions for you and me that if we refuse to abide by, well, eventually they'll either take away all of our stuff or lock us up. This is all backed with, at some level, government is threat of force, right? So they make these decisions for us, and if we don't like them, too bad. Too bad. Oh, okay, we've got the caller, Brian, who's on a better connection now. Brian, I want to let you finish what you were saying. I didn't mean to cut you off, but the connection was bad. What were you saying? Yeah, no, it's understandable. What I was saying was you mentioned Justice King, and you mentioned him as a Republican. That's another thing that we can say. He is in no way a Republican. He is a Democrat. There is no way that he is a, a Republican, and we need – that's what we need to do. I mean, you, you asked earlier, what are we going to do? I mean, right now, Republicans basically know – that the Republican voters who are out there in the next election would never vote for a Democrat. And then they go, well, who else do I have to vote for? Well, I guess I'll vote for the same Republican that's been on the ballot for the last 20 years. They know that. So what we need to do is primary them and get them out. Even the Freedom Caucus people are disappointing. I mean, Jim Jordan was all over the airwaves yesterday saying, excuse me, saying basically, hey, you know, Donald Trump could have taken care of this with a stroke of a pen. He could have gotten rid of a lot of these things with an executive order, and we wouldn't be having this discussion. No, no, no. Um, sorry, Jim Jordan of the Freedom Caucus, the supposed uh, conservative branch of, of the Republican Party. An executive order can be overturned in an instant when the next president comes in. You are supposed to do your job as senators and write legislation. I, look, I totally agree. I just think that, you know, we, we've been through, you know, we had the Tea Party. We've had the we've had all these young conservatives or new conservatives, I should say, coming into elected office in the Congress. We have all this. And yet here we are. I mean, it's just discouraging. We have less than 20, have less than 20 in, in Congress who are true conservatives. And the Freedom Party has done what lately? I mean, excuse me, the, the, the Tea Party. They, they haven't done anything. Not that I'm blaming them, but I mean— the Tea Party needs to get their act together and get back in business. Well, I mean, the, the, the Tea Party gave us back control of the Congress. I mean, you know, and now we, but the problem is the Congress doesn't, they gave control of the Congress, and thank you for calling back, Brian. They gave us control of the Congress, but the Republican Party in control doesn't get it done. So, I mean, it's not the Tea Party's fault. Otherwise, we'd have Nancy Pelosi running the show and Chuck Schumer. Ah. <sighs> Look, it's it's very it is very frustrating. Um, but I also think we need to be very honest about what happened here. People like uh, people like free stuff. And there are some key states here where Medicaid expansion is popular. And there are enough people that want that free stuff that would vote uh, those politicians. And by the way, it's not just the Medicaid expansion is only is not just people that are in need who are getting health care from the state. It's also the hospital systems that benefit from this now, right? Because they can now you have people that are just able to go in there with their Medicaid card and get service, whether it's good or not. By the way, it doesn't matter, right? Because where else are they going to go? The hospital systems in states like Ohio, that's a, you know people like Rob, uh, like uh, Senator Portman. Yeah, oh, yeah. Medicaid expansions. Big business, everybody. They're, don't don't ever forget the corporatist interests in the welfare state because they're very real, too. And in Virginia on the iHeart app, you've got thoughts on this. What's up? 
Good evening, Mr. Sexton. You're apparently suffering from the same quandary I am. A love-hate relationship with the president? You said you approve, and then he's wrong, and... Well, it's not love-hate. I just I call him like I see him. Sometimes it's a ball. Sometimes it's a strike. Okay, so I hate some comments, and I wish his advisors would, you know, take away his fingers, his tongue. And then I love him because my stock market portfolio has increased 20 grand since he took office. Hmm. Huh. Well, yeah, I mean, the stock market's doing really well. So that's, if there was a Democrat in office, by the way, you'd be hearing all the time about how well the stock market's doing, how well the economy's doing. All those things right now are very strong. Um, and, and we just saw, and Ann, thank you for holding, thank you for calling in. We, we just saw that uh, second quarter economic growth was double first quarter growth. That's the kind of thing that just came out today. That's the kind of thing that would be a big headline under a Democrat administration. You know, it's a Republican, though, and can't be that Trump is... In, encouraging commercial activity and in, encouraging the private sector to do what it does, let the business of the American people be business? Or could it? Maybe that is part of all this. Look, I I can't begin to explain or, or, or defend some of what's been going on with uh, senior White House people this past week. I mean, interesting to talk about, but in terms of making sense of it, you know, uh, I mean, I, I guess I do I do begin to explain it because I do it on a radio show. But I'm just saying I don't have all the answers on that. But just because I don't like the uh, the style sometimes from this White House, I'm still looking at the substance on, on the executive side, regulations, uh, the way the regulatory agencies have been reined in, the way that businesses are being encouraged and they know that they're going to have a clearer path they did in the past. That's all very strong. That's all on the Trump side. Congress I'm looking at today, and I'm just saying we're Republicans in Congress. You know, what have you done for me lately, lately, Republicans? Not much. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. I asked the question in the last hour, what can we look to the Republican Party for? I, I, I'm not going to uh, belabor the uh, frustration I feel, not just with, well, with John McCain specifically in the vote that he uh, cast in order to keep Obamacare complete. It was not going to be repealed completely, but now the law is, in fact, complete. There's nothing that changes with it. Uh, But what can we count on the Republican Party for, or the the Republican Congress? And here's here's an answer. They will pass sanctions on Russia. Oh, okay. In just the last three years, under Vladimir Putin, Russia has invaded Ukraine, annexed Crimea, threatened NATO allies, and intervened militarily in Syria, leaving a a trail of death, destruction, and broken promises in his wake. And of course, last year, Russia attacked the foundations of American democracy with a cyber and information campaign to interfere in America's 2016 election. I am proud. I am proud of the two individuals who just spoke. Senator from Maryland and the Senator from Tennessee. Both of them have worked in a bipartisan fashion and gotten legislation to this floor. Although it's long overdue, it is here, and I believe we will see an overwhelming vote. And I thank them for their bipartisanship. The last eight months, what price has Russia paid for attacking American democracy? Very little. This legislation legislation would begin to change it. The legislation would impose mandatory sanctions or transactions with the Russian defense or intelligence sectors, including okay, FSB. Yada, yada. And- okay, great. Russian defense, great. 
On Thursday, the Senate did pass something. This uh, legislation that puts new sanctions on Russia and also uh, gives Congress powers to block the president, Donald Trump, from easing sanctions against Moscow. Passed the Senate 98 to 2, passed the House 419 to 3 on Tuesday. Okay, additional Russia sanctions. I'm not going to disagree with Russia sanctions because I think that a lot of Russian foreign policy, uh, a lot of Russian foreign policy is, uh, well, against our interests, um, but against our allies' interests mostly. Or and 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 I think that Russia acts in a way on the world stage that is uh, unhelpful to us and is also. Um, in many cases, uh, destabilizing, but okay. This isn't going to affect you one way or the other. This is easy. It's easy for the Congress to pass votes sanctioning some Russian entities. That's not hard. They can spin that one way or the other if they have to when it comes time for the election, and no one's really going to care either. Um, being increasingly belligerent with Russia, unfortunately, is is easy for a Republican Party that is a- always interested in the uh, the use of U.S. power around the world, even if it means antagonizing countries that we might be better served to look for some common ground with sometimes, and a Democrat Party that is just hell-bent on finding some way to get us into deeper and deeper animosity and perhaps even future conflict with Russia because what matters to them more than anything else is that Hillary Clinton did not win the election. So you have the Republican uh, military-industrial-foreign policy complex coinciding with the Democrats' uh, sore loser syndrome on Hillary to give us a very belligerent foreign policy vis-a-vis Russia, which— it's not going to get us anywhere. Let's just look at it this way. Obama put sanctions on Russia. Did, was, did that in any way change Russian behavior? In, in fact, all Russia did was get further and, and deeper into Syria and backing the Assad regime. But you, you see this now, that the Republicans can be counted on to take brave moral stands on foreign policy. Republicans in Congress. You know, they're not the ones out there in the field, right? They're not the ones that have to bear the consequences of extended deployments, and they're not the ones that have to deal with the uh, risk to life and limb from the decisions to militarily intervene or involve ourselves in these places. And Democrats, with when it comes to Russia, I mean, they just can't, they can't find enough ways to keep it. For them, it's just about keeping it alive in the news cycle. But Without getting into much more of the foreign policy wisdom or lack thereof of uh, antagonizing Russia further than we already do, which I mean, that's the keep in mind. We already have sanctions against Russia. We already refer to Putin as a thug. We we talk about Russia interference in the elections uh, nonstop in the media. Does it make your does it do anything to make your life any better? Here's a here's a, a, another way to look at this. And, and someone needs to start saying this to, to the Republicans that love to just, oh, look at us. We're, we're holding Russia accountable for its bad behavior. Okay, but that's really minimal for the rest of us in terms of benefit. Do, do, we, do we care all that much? Uh, is, is it going to make your life any easier or any better? Are Americans any freer? Are Americans any more prosperous? 
if Vladimir Putin is what? Less uh, less a- aggressive in Ukraine. I mean, he's already seized the Crimea and we're not about he's not going to give it back. That's not going to happen. Ukraine is much more important to Russia than our sense of the international community's obligation to Ukraine to respect its territorial integrity. So that's that's just never going to happen. I mean, I understand that we're we're punishing him for aggressive behavior, but that's what the Senate can do. That's what the Congress can do. This is what we pay them for. This is why we give them all this power. This is why they have the power of the person. It's why they can write laws so that they can make sure that we do things that annoy Russia economically, that hurt the Russian economy, which also, of course, you got to imagine this from the perspective of the of the Russian people. Why are now they have to suffer? Now they have to deal with this. Now I know that the sanctions are t- are targeted, but the Russian economy has been in rough shape for a while now. So I I just look at this and I I think as as we go off into the weekend, are we, do the Republicans really think we're going to clap for them? If if all the things that you know, if Russia all of a sudden, if Putin stopped. Uh, abusing and murdering journalists or having people do that for him. I mean, he's not doing it himself, but you know what I mean? If, if Putin uh, was less of an autocrat and, get, I don't know, pulled uh, all of his interests out of eastern Ukraine and, and there were no more people that were engaged in insurgent-like activity or in, insurgency in eastern Ukraine, if, if, they, if they abandon the Assad regime tomorrow, would you really care all that much? I, just, I think it's a fair question to ask. Would it matter to you? Would it matter to your life? Would it matter to the American people? So Republicans are, are great on this, right? And you'll notice the Democrats all went along with them, by the way. That didn't seem to bother the Republicans that, you know, a lot of Democrats that usually would say, you know, maybe we shouldn't. You know, the same Democrats who will just make excuses for Iran all day, all the time. We got to be. Got to reach out to them more. More die. Democrats want more dialogue with every jerk and every uh, evildoer running a country on the planet, except for Russia. Right. I mean, n- never mind the fact that if we're going to talk about human rights and oppression and totalitarianism, Ch- China is a little bit of an issue too, folks. And and China could do a lot more about North Korea, which is looking increasingly like the most likely. Uh, cause us belli for a major military exchange. I mean, God forbid something involving nukes even in the future. But you know, North, North Korea is getting scarier all the time and, you know, still firing off missiles, still doing all this. And China plays a huge role in that, as we know. But it's all about Russia all the time. We're We're going to be sanctioning Russia. We're going to continue to try to isolate Russia. You know, this is going to end with what? I mean, that's what I would want to ask the Republicans in Congress. It's going to end with what? A change in Russian behavior? Unlikely. And even if that be- change in behavior happened, would you care about it? Would I care about it? I think the answer is almost certainly not really. On, on what matters to all of us, they can't get any. They, they can't do anything worthwhile. They can't write laws that make us freer. They can't write laws that. Or here, let me take that. Let me take this from a different perspective. GOP Congress, Congress in general, across the board, bipartisan. This is a bipartisan criticism, but I expect more. I expect something from Republicans. I mean, Democrats just make it worse. But I expect Republicans sometimes to do the right thing. I would hope. At least they they say things that make me think it is possible. They are capable 
of doing the right thing. But where? How? On what? Maybe they could just make the government less intrusive, less damaging, less destructive. That would be a start, right? That would be progress, real progress. But no, they can't even do that. So where, what are we left with? What do we have at the end of all of this? We'll see. I mean, you know, Trump is saying that uh, this is that, that it'll collapse. I mean, who knows? But there's no real leadership on health care right now. And it's just going to get worse. And they want to clap for themselves. A lot of self-congratulation out of the Congress on what's going on here with uh, Russia sanctions. And, and also in the commentary class, too, and in media. Oh, yeah, we're really standing up to Russia. What do you, I mean, Putin's worth, no one even knows how much, but Putin's a vastly wealthy and powerful individual. I think he really cares about some Russian sanctions that are targeted against some uh, some agencies or whatever. I mean, this is going to do what exactly? But the history of sanctions as a tool of affecting policy is, is, is very bleak, I should note. By the way, if we're really going to talk about this, did the, did sanctions, uh, destroy the Iranian nuclear program? Nope. Did sanctions end Saddam Hussein uh, Saddam Hussein's regime? Nope. You just go down the line. But sanctions against Russia, that's going to stop them from pursuing Ukraine is a core interest to the Russian state. The future of Ukraine, they believe is a core interest. It is essential to them. Is it essential to you? No. It's not essential to me. And sure, I feel I feel badly that they are uh the recipients of Moscow's meddling, but there are plenty of places around the world I could point to where there are lots of problems that are unfair or people are doing bad things. But it's not my problem. It's not your problem. But we do seem to have a government right now that wants to make all things Russia our problem. And that's dangerous. I mean, at least we have a Congress that wants to do that. That's that's dangerous. A lot of moral grandstanding on Russia, a lot more silence on China. And when you start to line them up next to each other, you think, hmm, really? One, one of these is is the existential threat to us that we have to be constantly on guard against, undermining our democracy and all this. But, you know, China, you, you want to talk about cyber and you want to talk about cyber capability as well as uh, what would be construed uh, in an, in another context, in another time as continuous violations of, of U.S. sovereignty. I mean, do we, do we really think that... Uh, all the stuff that's been going on in the in the world of cyber with China, is, we we you notice we don't hear about that, do we? No, we only hear about Russia. Republicans are 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 because they're just ha- like I said, the Republican military industrial foreign policy complex is rawr, you know, the hawkish Republican party. So they're 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 going to run in that direction, and Democrats are like, yeah, Russia, public global enemy number one is Russia, and so whatever keeps that narrative alive, because that's why Hillary lost, of course, they're all for that. Meanwhile, what what are we left with? They can't get anything done on health care, and they're just annoying what is a, a large nuclear power uh, that I, I wish we could find ways to be a little more constructive with. And I, I look, I think Trump is trying to do that, but whenever he tries, he gets slapped with the whole, oh, Russia collusion nonsense from the media. Uh, you know, th- they're being irresponsible. I mean, it's actually reckless the way that the media is currently portraying U.S.-Russia relations and what the Russian state and Russian government are doing. Because keep in mind that all the bad stuff they complain about now, Russia was doing when Obama was in office. 
But that was when Obama was looking over at Medvedev and saying, you know, after the election, I'll have more flexibility. So this whole moral grandstanding thing about, oh, Russia is so awful, so terrible, it's purely a function of Hillary losing the election. From the Democrats, at least. And from Republicans, I've got to say, Republicans, you know, anytime they can flex a, a little American muscle on the global stage, they're like, yeah, let's go for it. At least lately that seems to be the case. And you know, Donald Trump's the only one who's like, yeah, maybe we should talk to Russia and find some common ground with them. <gasps> oh, he's, you know, he's, a, he's, he's an agent of the Kremlin. It's just crazy when you think about it. But yeah, John McCain, so proud of his fellow senators for the sanctions. Okay. Who wants to place bets that those sanctions have zero discernible effect whatsoever on Russian policy? I'd, I, I wish there was a place. I wish there was a place in Vegas where I could put money down on that. Because I promise you I would win. It's going to do nothing. But, yeah, let's talk. Let's let's get all excited about our senators who can do meaningless, meaningless gestures, a lot of chest thumping on Russia. Meanwhile, our health care is just getting crappier and more expensive all the time. All right. All right. I, White House uh, shenanigans. Maybe we'll talk about that for a bit. And, and it is action movie quote Friday. Can we can we action movie quote Friday? Please? Oh, action. there we go. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Movie. Come to the coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Quote free your mind. Fridays. Action movie quote Fridays. 844-900-BUCK. 844-900-2825. We'll be right back. Okay, so the so the White House is an interesting place these days. I, I, assume, I assume it's always a pretty interesting place. Um, I've, been I've been down there as a tourist, and I've been down there on business. But the White House is, uh, yeah, there's some stuff going on there. Um, we have Priebus out, as I mentioned at the very top of the show. He is going out with uh, going out with class. I should note, Priebus is being very uh, well. No, I think there's really no surprise here. Um, he's saying that it's an honor and all that sort of stuff. Um, he also said, "I'm always going to be a Trump a Trump fan." Uh, I, look, I, I think that a lot of the heat that he gets, a lot of the uh, trouble that Priebus has had in the, with the perception. In, in the press, or not in the press, I should say, with the base, with conservatives, is that he's an establishment guy, and Trump is a, Trump's whole rise was supposed to be non-establishment, and so Priebus's presence in the White House as chief of staff made it seem like you had somebody who was ultra-establishment in a very senior role. So that was that was always a uh, a marriage with some difficulties, so to speak. But now he is stepping aside, and. He's got General Kelly taking over as chief of staff. Now, generals are—I was never in the military, so I'm just speaking about what I could know from the outside. But I've you know, worked at the CIA, and I know what, it, what, what it's like to be in a very large bureaucracy, and I understand what effective management and leadership looks like in that bureaucracy. And General Kelly will understand the management and leadership parts of his chief of staff role. I, I don't know what his— media relations and messaging skills are like really I, he seems like a great very honorable patriotic american so that's all really <laughs> that's an essential and very positive start but is this the job for him i i don't know um but R ryan's is coming off like a gentleman here i will say that and it, of course that's I, I know some people who know him i will say this i have some friends in the media business who know ryan's Prieb as well and they've always spoken very highly of him you know, off the, off the record with me, they've always said he's a really good dude. So, and just like that, too. He's a good dude. Um, so he's out. Uh, Richard in New Jersey on WILM. What are your thoughts on everything going on? 
I'm sorry about the transmission. Thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to say that John McCain has an outstanding war record, but he's a very petulant man. Donald, she's getting back at Donald Trump for saying that he's not like a war hero, and Donald Trump and John McCain is a very petulant man. Also, John McCain chose his petulance by blasting talk radio. You know, I hell with them all. I mean, I don't want to. I don't have a recorder in my head, but John McCain is a very petulant. Yeah, if it wasn't for the if it wasn't for the loudmouths on on conservative talk radio, whom I don't have to, you know, the quote loudmouths, I don't have to name them here. And if it wasn't for Fox News, uh, the Democrat Party would be it would be a one party state we're living in, my friend. So, I'm sorry. What do you say, Richard? Oh, you're breaking up, my friend. Sorry, I, I need people with with uh, solid connections here because nothing more frustrating for a host and for listeners than not being able to hear you. Thanks for calling in, Richard, but. If he gets a if he gets a better connection, we'll uh, we'll let him back on to finish his statement there. But yeah, I, I did not like uh, McCain's comment about the loudmouths on the loudmouths. What I mean, he, he doesn't know who I am, but uh, we're right. Those of us who are saying that Obamacare is a disaster and they promise to repeal it, we're actually right. So loudmouth or quietmouth or whatever we are, we were right. Just saying. Uh, talk a little bit more about the White House intrigue in a few. Stay with me. Felix in Pennsylvania on WAEB wants to get in on this action. What's up, Felix? Hey, my inventor, Buck. You know, when you do your Deutsche Sprache, you sound just like my cousin Andreas. Nice. I'm, uh, so I'm, it must be very true-to-life impersonation then. It, it really is. Also, your Hillary yesterday, you actually had me spitting up coffee in the cab of my truck. I was laughing so hard. All right. Thank you very much, sir. Like I said, it, 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 it distills the essence of Hillary. You know, whether it's sonically totally accurate is irrelevant because you understand who Hillary is when you hear the impersonation. If you did that audio book, I would have to waste my money on it because it's just too good. Maybe, maybe I should do maybe funny. I should do a, a what really happened, like my own little version of the audio book. Yeah, that, that would be a great idea. I actually hey, kind of like that. I, I, might, I might mark that one down. That actually sounds good. I feel like what do you got for me? Okay, all right. Also, you inspired me yesterday. I figured out, you know, maybe we can get the Canadians to pay for our health care. You were talking about us Canadians that come over the border to take advantage of our health care system. Wealth, wealthy Canadians do, yeah. Yes. Hit them with a big surcharge, and we can fund our health care system here. Uh, it's not going to be nearly enough, but it's, a, it's an idea. It's uh, an okay. idea, Felix. We can say that. All right, here, here's the action movie quote. You know, that's just the way it always seems to go. As soon as I get to liking someone... They ain't around much longer. Character number two. Well, I noticed that when you get to disliking someone, they ain't around much longer either. Uh, is that a, is that like a is, is it a Dirty Harry or Clint Eastwood movie? Because that's usually my it, my it weak is, spot. It is Clint. It is Clint Eastwood. See, I knew it was Clint Eastwood. Uh, all right, hit the buzzer. What is it? Outlaw of Josie Wales. People say that's a good one. Is that what? What is that? What is the best? If I have to start catching up on my Clint Eastwood, because you guys always get me All on right. the, the the word is out. I don't know my other than like Gran Torino and uh, uh, oh. Unforgiven, and you know, there's a few that I know pretty well. Uh, Gran Torino is probably uh, my favorite Outlaw, Eastwood movie, actually. But anyway, Outlaw Josie Wales has a large body count. You know, it's based at the end of the Civil War. He's a Confederate guerrilla, and. When it first came out, me and my brother sat there, and I, I watched, I don't know how many times I started timing how long it was before he killed somebody, and it was usually like within about five minutes, and if it went any longer, the body count was a bit larger. Hmm. 
I miss. I don't know. I missed what you said. That what was a bit larger? The body count. Oh, but it, it, what's the best Clint Eastwood movie for me to go see this weekend? If I were to, if I were to watch one on Netflix or download one or whatever, what should I see? Um, you of know, the westerns, I mean, of the, the westerns, I see was, the other ones. The, the The Unforgiven was very good. Yeah, that's the, one that won the, the Oscar, pale, right? All right, maybe I'll check that pale, one out. Yeah, pale, pale Rider or maybe the Outlaw Josie Wales. All right, cool. Shields High Felix, man, thank you for calling in. Good to hear from you. Always have a great weekend. Ed in Ohio, WHLO. What's up, Ed? Oh, uh, nothing much, sir. I was just listening to your comment about um, President Obama when he told um, Mendenev he thought he was off mic and uh, he was on mic and he said, tell Vladimir Putin not to worry about the missile shield between Poland and Czechoslovakia. I'll have more flexibility after the elections. And I was just wondering, sir, do you think he subconsciously told him um Putin, it's okay to go ahead and um, invade the Crimea? Well, I certainly couldn't pretend to be able to understand the subconscious of either Obama or Medvedev, but I, I can say that I think the Russian state was pretty sure that under the Obama administration they could push, they could expand, they could test the limits and go beyond them without much in the way of pushback or consequences. And, you know, it, it did send— Quite a message early on that Obama, you mentioned the missile shield, Obama didn't want that because it was going to annoy the Russians. Remember, Hillary had a big reset button. I mean, you know, there's so much rewriting of history going on here, Ed. The Democrats, when Obama came in, were all about, you know, new beginnings and new starts and all that with the with with countries around the world that oppose us and that make our lives harder and that or not make our lives harder, but, you know, make make problems for us around the world. Uh, and the Russian reset button, the pivot to Asia, all this stuff. But with Russia in particular, you know, Hillary was all about trying to get warmer relations with Russia. Look, I'm not going to lie. George W. Bush, too, said he looked into Putin's heart. And, but it was a post-9-11 era, and the Russians—look, the Russians have been fighting the jihadists for a long time, too. So we do have a—we do have a common enemy with Russia in that Russia is—if you take the— uh, the point of view of a uh, clash of civilizations and and also if you agree with the thesis in it russia represents orthodox civilization which is a which is a close cousin to what we think of as western and american led uh, civilization and there there is common ground there to be sure um, and i think that the russians you know the the Russian people should always be separated out from the Russian regime. As you know, we got we got no beef with the right. Russian people. I, I, I've got no right. problem with Russians. All people. Yeah. Right. So. But, um, yeah. No. Look, Obama. Yeah. Obama showed a lot of weakness all over the world, and we suffered the consequences for years. And you know, so but whether or not there was a go ahead for Crimea, I mean, I think that's probably going. That's a little specific and going a little far, but. They did grab Crimea when Obama was in office, and they did go into eastern Ukraine, and they did go into Syria, and, you know, look at all that stuff. Right. After he said, I'll have more flexibility after the elections. Yeah, he had he had, he had plenty of flexibility. I think the Russians took advantage of it. So, Ed, thank you for calling well, in, man. Shields high. Uh, yeah, you know, it's a—okay, I, I got to—we'll talk a little about this White House intrigue stuff, because, I, 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 you know, it's Friday. Why not? I'll give you my version of it. Speaking speaking of reading the subconscious of major political figures, 
I'll tell you what I think about what's going on of all this stuff with the White House. Scaramucci is in. Priebus is out. Kelly is in. Spicer is out. Yep. A lot of that and more when we get back. Stay with me. In New Mexico, calling in on the iHeart app. Hey, Brent. Hey, Buck. Shields high, man. Shields high. Hey, I just I got an action movie quote for you real quick. Okay. All right. Well, there's a scene, and the cops are talking together, and one of the cops says, bring me everyone. And the other cop says, everyone. And he grabs him, and he jerks him close to him, and he screams in his face, everyone. Ah. I don't know. The professional? Ah, uh, yeah, I saw that a long time. I, I think I've only seen that movie once, but um yeah. I, I, I think did did they uh did they remake it? They remade it, right? It was originally a French film. Yes, sir. I think so. Yeah, I think that's right. All right, and what else do you got for me? Sorry, so you got me on that one. I'm 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 not doing well with it on the action movie quotes. Over two so far. What else is on your mind? No, I just I know that everybody's angry at the conservatives or the Republicans on this deal. And I called you a while back saying I don't think it's going to matter, which I think it might. But, I mean, I just want your thoughts on more than anything is, I mean, we got a primary amount. But other than that, what's the alternative? I mean, I don't even think we're going to. I think that we're deluding ourselves if we're going to say that we fix this by primarying them out, because, you know, look at how many primaries John McCain has made it through. I mean, so. You know, and this isn't the first time that he's gone maverick and gotten a glowing editorial commentary in the New York Times about him, right? That's, in some sense, you feel like this, that's really his his brand as a Republican is the Republican who breaks with. I mean, McCain-Feingold, for example, terrible legislation. His brand is the Republican who breaks ranks with Republicans to give Democrats what they want at key moments and gets nice things written about him in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and yet he wins. Arizonans vote for him year after year, so. You know, if you're not going to primary John McCain, who are you going to primary? I think that's what, you know. Yeah, I mean, what else can you do, though, Buck? I mean, you want to give it back to the Democrats? No, look, I'm not not saying that uh, that, that we shouldn't try. I'm just saying I I wish it was as straightforward as just, well, yeah, we'll we'll throw the— throw the bums out of office, so to speak. But that's that's not going to happen, man. I mean, we— We've had now, we've, we've had, uh, like I said, the Tea Party and the conservative wave, and you've got, you know, the Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz and the Freedom Caucus and, all, you know, all these guys that uh, and gals who are all about their conservative bona fides, and yet here we are. <laughs> here we are. We can't get rid of Obamacare. I, you know, what, what else can you really say about it other than that? Um, I know. I, I wish I had it. You, you, you know what should make you happy, Brent? Said it's a great time to be alive. America's a wonderful place, and you know I hear New Mexico is beautiful this time of year. So there you go. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. Man. All right, chill tight. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so okay, so some of the uh, White House stuff. I don't spend a lot of time on the shenanigans going on inside the White House because, first of all, I don't, I don't uh, have close ties to this White House, which I, I think is good in some ways. You know, our media is so obsessed with access that I think they often lose objectivity. Uh, that just because you can speak to somebody who is either in power or very close to those in power doesn't mean that you're necessarily getting an accurate picture at all. And the moment you start to trade your objectivity for that access, I think it's very hard to have a a clear view of what's going on at the upper reaches of the administration. So I, I'm just, yeah, I've, I, I've got my sources that I speak to about this stuff who are who are close to things, but 
for the most part, I'm just looking at it and trying to be an objective and hopefully sometimes insightful observer. Uh, but this week was, even by Trump administration standards, it's just a crazy week. I mean, you had, oh, by the way, before I get into this, um, next hour, we're going to talk about some national security issues, including uh, what's going on with the with Iran, the missile tests and the nuclear deal, uh, the back and forth about the Temple Mount and uh, Palestinian riots because of a uh, a an attack by uh Palestinian policemen. I mean, I'll give you all the details in the next hour of that. We'll also have a one of our heroes of the week joining us to talk about uh, what it means, not just for him, but others to be heroes in this country. And then I'll share you share some uh, uh, some last minute last minute uh, buck stuff with you. Um, so that's coming up all in the next hour. Uh, so what's going on in the White House right now? You have Sarah Huckabee Sanders being asked about. The Scaramucci interview yesterday. Hey, buonasera, Scaramucci. It's fun. It is a fun name to say, I will say that. So you've got the Scaramucci or, you know, the American version, the Mooch. Hey, oh, the Mooch. Um, it does sound like a the, the name that would have been given to a character on, on The Sopranos, but, you know, he, he, embrace, he embraces the nickname and people refer to him as the Mooch, and I like, you know, I like that aspect of it, right? People embrace nicknames... Generally, I'm I'm in favor because it means they're not taking themselves too seriously. But so you got the mooch, and he went down there in D.C. and he's got some problems, though. It's been there's been some issues with what's been going on. He spoke to I always get Saliza and Liza confused. Those two reporters, they're both covering stuff. One's at CNN, one's at the New Yorker, I think. He spoke to one of them. I think it was Liza, uh, and went on this long tira- uh, tirade. I hear people say tirade, too, but I like to say it, it is tirade, right? Or tirade? Yeah, tirade, whatever. He went on one of those things, and a lot of it got printed, and it was not so not so great a debut as a communications director, unless you're Trump, because Trump liked it. Trump was like, yeah, I kind of like it. And there are those who are even saying that one of the reasons Priebus is gone is because uh, Trump was unhappy. This is according to The Hill. That Trump was unhappy that Priebus didn't punch back at, metaphorically speaking, at Scaramucci. So is that true or not? I don't know. It sounds like it could be true, though. Trump is a uh, is a rough and tumble guy. He he likes to he likes the, he likes the scrum, um, which I'm pretty sure is a rugby term, right? Uh, so he he likes to get into that. Huckabee Sanders was asked. She's now the White House, you know, press secretary. She was asked about this. Here's what she said. One- Look, I think Anthony put out a, a statement here just moments ago and uh, stated that, you know, this is a guy who sometimes uses colorful and uh, in uh, many circles, probably not appropriate language. And uh, he's very passionate about the president, the president's agenda. And I think he may have let that get the best of him in that conversation. The bottom line is most of us here at the White House are focused on who has a job out in America, not who has a job here. I got to say, of, of all the stuff I've seen from Sarah Huckabee Sanders, that was probably one of the best uh, moments of press secretary jujitsu. That was pretty. She's like, yeah, you know, I mean, it wasn't great, but uh, let's move on to policy. I was like, oh, look at that. She's she's uh, she is has verbal agility up there for sure. Um, and we, we heard a little more about this from senior White House counselor 
Kellyanne Conway. He's making clear that even though these documents are eventually uh, procurable publicly, that somebody doesn't want him here. And somebody is trying to get in his way and scare him off from working here, mm -hmm. which is a huge mistake. There are leaks, and then there are people using the press to shiv each other in the ribs. Right. That's different than a leak. A leak is, did you see the memo Kellyanne put out on this memo? Did you hear what Jared said in the senior staff meeting? That's a, that's a classic leak. The other thing that's going on here is people carrying favor with the press, getting their own positive coverage by hurting their colleagues here. That is a complete disservice to the president. Right. The president is doing so well, and when people in this White House and throughout this administration do that, it steps all over the president's positive message. Yeah, there's a lot of egomania in, in government. There are a lot of people who are quite concerned with the public perception of them. In fact, to run for elected office uh, at the national level, I, I think you have to have an ego that at least borders on, if not goes deep into unhealthy territory. Uh, but one thing I will say is that I have, uh, I've never been particularly impressed with the people who run government. I have been very impressed with some of the people I've come across in government, meaning they are public servants um, in the intelligence community, certainly on the military side and, and in the intelligence community. I've met people who I found very impressive, but even those who are at the very top of the bureaucracies and agencies, I tend to find deeply unimpressive, not always, but often. And on the elected official side of things, I mean, it just feels like it just feels like clowns, man. I mean, it's this is it's commonplace now. You get people who are, yeah, I know a fair amount of them are smart, but I mean the ones that, you know, like Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi. I mean, uh, how how upset am I really supposed to get about the? And this is this is not to say this is not a what aboutism. This is a why do I careism, which are different things. How upset can I really get about Trump's top people and how they speak to press or whatever? Um, after the press being not just fine with, but but going to the mat in defense of the Clinton administration for eight years and then doing everything they could for Hillary, uh, despite all of her shortcomings and and her just uh, greed and grasping nature. I mean, they were doing everything they could for Hillary, someone who is not uh, not ethical, who is very quick to sell access or at least the perception of access in every way that she can how upset am i really supposed to be over the way that this white house functions or the way that people in this white house speak to each other or the press it's just, it's hard for me to summon that much will to care about this i should also put out there does anyone really think that rama Emanuel, who was famous for and some of it was reported but famous for using just the most i mean look profanity I'm a I'm a fan of colorful language in my personal life off air. I mean, I think that colorful language is is important and is expressive in the right context. Uh, Rahm Emanuel was uh, quite the potty mouth, from what we have been told, and was famously verbally abusive of staff and people around him. Yet, I did not a lot of not a lot of people. Oh, you know, how could Obama have this person as the chief of staff in his White House? So this is really, this goes in the category of, well, I'm going to have to finish what I think about this because I realize I've almost run into the break here, but uh, stay with me on this. I've got more. I've got more. Major Jim in Michigan. What's up, dude? Hey, Dylan. Shields high. Shields high. 
Hey, uh, listened to you a long time. I loved it when you filled in for Rush. I think you will be the replacement when he retires. Thank you very much, sir. Very kind words. One can only hope. Yeah. Um, I got a quote. I'll give you first. I call an action movie. Hopefully you'll judge it as one. And then I got a comment about uh, living space. Okay, sure. Kick the tires, light the fires. I have a need for speed. Uh, Top Gun? Yes, it is. All right, there we go. Ah, ah, Redeem myself a little bit. Okay. I I mean, if I miss Top Gun, I might as well just... By the way, definitely an action movie. Definitely. So, well done on that. Now, about space. My shed is 350 square feet. Yeah, I, I live in your shed. Although I don't think I don't think the rent would be the same for the shed as for the uh, tiny apartment I live in in New York City. Although I'm moving next week. Oh, good. Yeah, okay, it's going to be slightly bigger, but not really. Consider the Midwest because I mean I've got 1,100 square foot garage. Oh my gosh. Square foot on the house, and I only paid 148,000 for it. Oh man, what what state is this? I'm in I'm in Michigan. I'm just 1.2 miles north of uh, Elkhart. Indiana. Oh, nice. I went out to Michigan a little over, maybe about a couple of years ago, like right in the center of Michigan, and I spoke to, uh, is it Macosta County? Is that is that a county? Am I crazy? Uh, I forget I what. Moved. Yeah. Yeah, fair uh, enough. There's local radio station love to have you on. It's MNC 90, 93.5. Well. Call call, call the uh, call the program director. Tell them to put on the Buck Sexton show. It's uh, it's it's always it's always a good a good decision. Major Jim Man Shields, hi. Thank you very much for calling in. I appreciate it. Um, so I just want to finish some thoughts. And I, by the way, I'm not getting into. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not sure I have time this hour. Trump, I know, gave an MS-13 uh, tackling MS-13 speech today. Um, and speaking of tackling, he, he did say something about getting about the police and being rough. And, of course, the media was like, oh, my gosh. Here's what he said. One. I said, please don't be too nice. Like when you guys put somebody in the car and you're protecting their head, you know, the way you put their hand. Over. Like, don't hit their head and they've just killed somebody. Don't hit their head. I said, you can take the hand away. Okay. Well, you know, he was he was joking. I, I think pretty clearly there he really was joking. But people in the media uh, were upset about it. I saw people saying the president of the United States is encouraging violence once again. Just humorless. Isn't it amazing that you could have a president who is uh, who is so fond of of making jokes and, and being lighthearted at different times and speaking very off the cuff and and yet there are people who who choose very obviously choose to take him uh literally at every turn because they they're just deranged with uh, with animosity towards the president um but yeah he said that that you, you don't have to be so gentle he was referring to you know when you are putting somebody in the squad car they was watch the, there was it's procedure to make sure that they don't bump the head of course if somebody did bump their head really hard you know then there'd be a lawsuit and the cops would get in trouble and we'd be through all that again um but i, I think we'll have to i've been thinking about doing a deep dive on ms-13 the uh the gang the central american i think it actually started in u.s prisons but it has deep links to central america and I know that uh, Jeff Sessions is in Central America speaking to uh, allies there, partners, uh, law enforcement partners there about dealing with MS-13. I'm going to do some research into the group and, and look into it more because I know they're incredibly violent and very, very bad news. Uh, but I have to say I'm more familiar with 
uh, Mexican drug cartels, uh, you know, the various uh, cartels out of Mexico than I am with uh, MS-13 in terms of its history and what it does. So maybe next week or the week after, we'll do sort of a deep dive into MS-13. Um, that's, uh, we are going to do national security coming up here in just a few minutes. And then also I've got a hero joining us. So a lot planned for this uh, last hour of the show. Um, and uh, if you, oh, by the way, bucksexton.com slash store, t-shirts, hats, awesome stuff, including Shields High t-shirts. Go check them out. I love Freedom Hunt myself, but we'll be right back. All right, everybody, there's a lot going on in the world of national security and international relations. And I know this week, because of the focus on health care and the shakeups in the White House, we haven't spent as much time on those issues as we normally do. But to make up for that now, uh, we've got a ringer. We've got an ace up the sleeve. Dr. Jonathan Shanzer is with us. He is senior vice president at the Foundation for, De- for Defense of Democracies. And he also worked as a terrorism finance analyst at the U.S. Department of the Treasury. Dr. Shanzer, great to have you. Thanks a lot, Buck. Uh, so can you first tell what happened? Because this was a story that at, at a different point of the news cycle, Jonathan, would have gotten a lot of attention. Uh, there was violence at the Temple Mount. Uh, then there was a feud over metal detectors. Just walk us through that from start to finish, because I actually haven't brought it up at all on the show yet. Absolutely. So uh, about three weeks ago, there was an incident on the Temple Mount that I think shocked a lot of Israelis, and that was that two uh, Arab-Israeli policemen. In other words, these are uh, these are Arabs who are loyal to the state of Israel. They're patrolling the Temple Mount and uh, are right outside the Temple Mount, and they uh, they get shot. Uh, and the assailants run to the to the Temple Mount. They run to the third holiest site in Islam, and that's where they seek uh, shelter. It's apparently where they had been hiding their weapons, and so a shootout ensues where Israeli security ultimately neutralize them. Uh, At that point, the Israelis become very concerned that perhaps the Temple Mount has been used to store other weapons or that perhaps other people could have exploited whatever loophole the assailants had used in the first place. So uh, they uh, begin to take security measures. And one of the things that they do is they install uh, metal detectors on the Temple Mount uh, or uh, in the entrance to the Temple Mount, at which point uh, the Palestinian community uh, goes bonkers. And uh, it, was, uh, it was really actually kind of surprising because the Israelis have done essentially what the Saudis have done, what others have done when they have uh, you know, significant holy sites where lots of people go uh, crowd control. Anyway, uh, we saw essentially days of rage, uh, in fact, uh, leading to one mass murder uh, in the West Bank, a family was slaughtered as they were sitting down to Friday night dinner. Uh, and uh, the Israelis came under a huge amount of pressure from the rest of the Arab world to remove those metal detectors. And uh, they eventually did capitulate. And uh, I do wonder whether the situation is any safer today as a result of this. I think a lot of world leaders are saying, well, it's good that we've gone back to relative calm. First of all, the Palestinians are still rioting. Second of all, I'm not sure we've solved the problem. Rioting because of security measures on that were put in place after a murderous incident at a holy site. Uh, that that just seems like a strange 
uh, a strange reason for Palestinians. I mean, what were what was their version of of why there should be? I mean, the, the people that were upset, that were rioting, and as you said, that involved its own violence. But they were complaining. Why? I mean, what, what what was their claim uh, for this rioting? They were claiming that the Israelis were infringing upon their rights, their free uh, movement on this holy site. But really, I mean, look, uh, they continue to make it the issue that it was uh, that it was metal detectors. What it really was was the fact that Israel had imposed these metal detectors, that Israel maintained sovereignty over the old city. This is uh, we actually just passed the 50th anniversary of Israel uh, conquering uh, that territory during the Six Day War. Uh, of 1967. And so there it was a lot of tension, I think, as a result of that. And so, I mean, I always say, you know, when people talk about the flare ups and violence in the Palestinian Israeli conflict, they say, well, you know, why did this happen? And I, my, my answer is always that it's the same war that the Israelis have been fighting since 1948. And that is just simply that they are not wanted there by their Palestinian uh, neighbors or by many of their Arab neighbors as well. We're speaking to Dr. Jonathan Shanzer. He's vice president at the Foundation for defense of democracies. Uh, we've got a, a bunch of issues to talk to you about, Dr. Shanzer. Uh, talk to me about the, uh, the the latest with the Iranian missile launch. Well, uh, it is um, yet another missile launch uh, by the Iranians. Uh, you know, and, and it, what it's done is it's, it's essentially revived the debate uh, about whether or not the Iranians have been adhering to the nuclear deal. The Iranians will say that they have uh, absolutely adhered to it, except the problem is, is that uh, when the nuclear deal was ratified, it was ratified uh, pursuant to a new U.N. resolution that called upon Iran to halt its missile launches. Uh, Now, the Iranians will say that uh, it doesn't say that it must halt them, that it just calls upon them to halt. So it's really more of of an advisory rather than a demand. Uh, but the bottom line is, is that when we look at the nuclear deal, it is uh, it's a ticking time bomb, quite literally, that uh, in roughly 10 or 12 years, the Iranians will have that full breakout ca- capability without having any sanctions. And, and I think even more worries, uh, worrisome is they will have the ability to uh, to deliver those weapons. And they'll probably be able to do that within the next seven years because the ballistic missile embargo will be lifted. So there is this real concern that the Iranians are mastering uh, the nuclear cycle. They're mastering some of the technology that they need without having all the enriched uranium that they need in order to make a bomb. If you were advising the Trump administration specifically on the Iranian uh, nuclear deal based on where we are right now, right? I I feel like a lot of the punditry that I see on TV is the worst deal ever and that never should have been done. Okay, fine. But, you know, we we are where we are today. So based on where we are today with this whole thing, Jonathan, where where do you think the administration should go or what, what would be your advice? Well, my advice is to keep it for the moment because the Iranians are adhering at least to the letter. And of course, I mean, uh, the fact that they're adhering to it and they're still doing all of these things should give you an indication of, in fact, how bad the deal is. Right. It's a good idea for them to obey the deal. It can't be that painful. Right, exactly, right. So now the the question then becomes, well, what do you do uh, beyond that? And and I think that one of the, con- the the complaints that we hear from critics of the deal is that it didn't deal with any of the 
the terrorism support. It didn't uh, it didn't tackle the support for Hamas and Hezbollah and for the Assad regime and the Houthis in Yemen uh, or cyber activities, human rights. Uh, I mean, there are all these things that were left off the table. And that was kind of the weakness of the deal. But you can do a little jujitsu here and you can you can point to the fact that because they were not part of the deal, the United States has a free hand to pursue Iran through sanctions or other means uh, because it was left off the table. Now, the Iranians will say, well, that's not part of the deal. But of course, if you if you read this thing, you know, strictly legal interpretation of the deal, the United States can pursue Iran over these issues. And so I think there's lots of room for leverage with the Iranians. I think we can begin to impose new sanctions. We can make it hurt as much as it hurt the last time. And, uh, and, and perhaps there might be a way of getting back to maybe the table again to renegotiate these other things. I'm not terribly sanguine about the uh, prospect of the Iranians uh, halting their support for terrorism. Uh, but I do think we can get some leverage and uh, maybe in the process, um, you know, uh, uh, weaken the regime through perhaps asymmetrical means as well. Now let's uh, let's move uh, a, a little bit off of Iran towards the uh, Arabian Gulf situation. You wrote a piece in the Hill these days. It's the clash of the Arabian Gulf cash in Washington. What's going on there? Well, uh, in late May, uh, the uh, the country of Qatar came under a cyber attack. It actually happened on the same day that my organization, the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, held a conference in which we really raked the Qataris over the coals for their terrorism support uh, across the region. They are, of course, an American ally. They have a major air base uh, in the Middle East. It's where most of our war against ISIS and al-Qaeda is fought. But down the street uh, from that base, you've got Taliban, you've got Nusra Front, uh, you know, al-Qaeda in Syria, you've got Hamas. Uh, you've got designated terrorist financiers by the United States and the U.N. that have not been brought to justice. So there is a real double game that the Qataris have been playing. So they got hacked in late May. They got really angry. And the, someone, let's just say for now, no one's proven who it was, but someone hacked the ambassador from the UAE to the United States. And uh, they tried to essentially uh, smear the UAE for perhaps being behind FTD's event, which they weren't, uh, but also showing that the UAE was, uh, you know, uh, I guess as bad or worse as, uh, as the Qataris. I think they probably failed in doing that. But shortly after that hackback, let's call it, uh, that's when we saw uh, the full rupture with the Gulf states, that Saudi Arabia uh, Bahrain, UAE, as well as Egypt, all cut ties with the Qataris. They blocked maritime routes. They blocked air routes, uh, which was devastating for the Qataris. You saw a plummeting of their uh, of their currency. Their stock market took a hit, and uh, they were very, very isolated. And what we've seen since is that uh, the Arab states have re- refused to relent. And so the Qataris remain defiant. They continue to say that they're innocent. They are not. But what's interesting is that, you know, if you look at the countries that are that are kind of lashing out at the Qataris, they're not exactly innocent either. Right. I mean, yeah, aren't Kuwait the Saudis? Are, the Saudis are lecturing the Qataris on sponsoring terror, aren't they? Right. Well, now, look, I would say that the, the Saudis have turned a corner. They're better than they were. Are they innocent? No. They continue to spread Wahhabism, which is the most radical interpretation of Islam. And they're spending billions of dollars a year doing it. So they're kind of creating terrorists for us, which, you know, I don't really appreciate. Uh, and, and then the Kuwaitis are actually worse than um, than everyone other than than the Qataris. 
and most people don't know this. So, and they all have a democracy deficit. Neither none of them are, you know, are exactly, you know, liberal places, uh, you know, to uh, to live. So it's a bit of a case of kind of Baldman fighting over a comb. But at the uh, at the at the very least, though, and tur- but Turkey's uh, involved in this too, right? Well, the Turks have come to the assistance of the Qataris. Qataris, right? Because yeah. they're kind of pro-Islamist these days as well. They are, and I would actually say that the Qataris and the Turks are the pro-Muslim Brotherhood bloc uh, in the Middle East, and so they have a, they have a strategic alliance. And so the Turks are coming to the rescue of the Qataris. I would actually say that if this thing drags on, the Turks might be dragged into it as well. The Arab states might get fed up too. Uh, most of these Arab states, when they speak quietly with us, they'll tell us that uh, you know their their number one threat is Iran, second is Qatar, and third is Turkey. So uh, it is a full-on uh, economic war right now. This isolation campaign against uh, against the Qataris, and uh, they are defiant. Uh, the uh, Arab states are calling for the closing down of Al Jazeera, uh, which is you know the flagship television station for uh, for for Qatar. So. Uh, it's uh, it's become very nasty. I actually testified before Congress two days ago on this issue. There was a lot of interest, a lot of lobbyists uh, who are all weighing in on this thing. And that was kind of my point about the uh, the clash of the of the Gulf cash. There is so much money sloshing around in Washington uh, that uh, is designed to kind of whitewash these Gulf states. And in the end, I think it's actually been very detrimental that we've lost sight of the fact that they are harming our national interests. Qatar, I think, in particular, but these other countries are not innocent either. And I think that we really need to take a hard look at uh, at how the lobbyists are operating and how much influence they have, because it's really become, I think, a, a very disturbing phenomenon. Dr. Jonathan Shanzer, Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Great to have you, sir. Thanks for coming to hang out, Jonathan. Uh, come back soon. Anytime, Doc. Thanks. Uh, team, we're going to hit a break, and we'll be back with much more. Stay with me. Buck Sexton with America Now. We are cold. The Freedom Hut is fired up as Team Buck assembles shoulder to shoulder, shields high. Call in 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. All right, welcome back, everyone. It is American Heroes Week, and we have been spending some time talking about that here on the show. The White House declared it to be a week to think about, to uh, commemorate, and to honor the heroes in our midst, first responders, police, U.S. military, uh, our men and women in uniform. So uh, I wanted to talk to our friend Brandon Webb uh, about what this week means for him and for those that he served with. Brandon Webb is a former Navy SEAL and combat veteran with deployments to Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, He also is a New York Times bestselling author. He has The Red Circle, uh, to his credit, as well as The Killing School and The Power of Thought. But we're going to talk to him right now about his book, Among Heroes. Brandon, great to have you. Hey, thanks for having me, Buck. So it's Heroes Week, according to the White House. You wrote a book about heroes. Um, What what does it mean for you, Brandon? I mean, when somebody says to you, you served with heroes, Brandon Webb, and I'm sure they also say to you, because it's true, you're a hero. I mean, I think of you as my friend, but you're also a hero. But what does it mean to you when when people ask, uh, you know, what what it was like to serve with and be among heroes, as your title, as the book title uh, says? The whole reason I wrote Among Heroes was to tell the story and honor my friends who gave all, you know, they, they gave all since nine 11, these guys, their stories would not be heard if 
guys, um, for instance, my friend Chris Tonto Pronto wrote 13 Hours, which, which also featured uh, my best friend Glenn Doherty, who gave his life in Benghazi. So you know, these stories need to be told, and it's it's one of the reasons I, I, as much as writing is therapeutic, I really appreciate the guys that have the courage to get out and, and put pen to paper and, and write these stories and honor their friends and heroes. And that's was the whole driving purpose behind Among Heroes for me was truly honoring the my friends who, who gave their lives uh, since 9-11 when I served with them in the SEAL teams and, and to honor them and their families and, and tell those stories and, and in a positive way so that the reader could walk away and go, wow, I, I've got a little bit of Glenn Doherty inside me and and I'm a better person for, for having read the book. You mentioned 13 Hours. We actually had uh, John... Tag Tegan on the show yesterday to talk about about his experience in, in Benghazi. I'm sure he's someone you've, you've spoken to and, and come across uh, in, in the past, Brandon. But one, one thing that I think is so remarkable about guys like John, you mentioned uh, Tonto, Chris Peranto, uh, and, and you mentioned some other SEALs that you served with, including SEALs who, uh, who lost their lives fighting for the country is the humility. And this is one thing, you know, Brandon, you're a guy who's who's walked the walk and then some. And and I've always noticed this about those who uh, who are really out there and really doing it. They don't they, they don't flaunt it. There's a humility that comes along. Yep. I mean, a, a real operator or somebody who's happy doing the mission and knowing what they bring to it, knowing what their skill set is uh, and not feeling like they have to walk around and, and make a big deal out of it all the time. There's a humility that I feel like always comes across from these guys. Yeah, humility and, you know, guys in, in my book among heroes, like Dave Scott, Dave was, was an enlisted seal that went on to become an officer was at Georgetown and wrote a paper about Osama bin Laden 18 months, 18 months before nine 11 and his his professor and his paper was about how Bin Laden was coming to to rise to, to the position he he was in, and and how he was planning to attack the West. And his professor practically laughed him out of his class. And 18 months later, you know, Dave and I are serving together on SEAL Team Three, and the Twin Towers come down. So I mean, there's there's so much complexity. Um, around these these guys and and we've lost so much since 9/11 in the form of this human capital that I'm just glad I'm able to to capture their stories and and bring their share their lives with with the readers. So that that's what it was all about. And I, I think we're speaking to Brandon Webb, by the way, who's a former Navy SEAL, author of The Red Circle. Brandon actually designed the Navy SEAL sniper course, which is what the Red Circle is about. He's also a New York Times bestselling author of, of a few books, including The Killing School, which is his latest, The Power of Thought and Total Focus. Uh, but we're talking to him about Among Heroes. Uh, Brandon, you know, if when we look at what's going on right now in the country, I think that with this administration, um, there is a renewed focus on first responders, on on police, and and at least I'm hearing from people in the military, and I know that this always I don't like to politicize this, but that that there's a there's a sense there's a sense that uh, there's a greater uh, a greater pride from the very top, shall we say, about U.S. military efforts, past and present, than there has been uh, previously with the previous administration. Um, what do you think about that, and do you think it affects people? Absolutely. I mean, you know. People are upset about Trump's administration. He's doing exactly what he said he was going to do. He's going to flip the political table up up on end. 
and he's doing that. He's not running a traditional uh, organization, and and I, I don't see why anyone is surprised um, at what's happening. But as far as the military goes, absolutely, uh, the morale of the U.S. military is is at a very high level, much higher than it was um, under the Obama administration. And when you see, you know, the video of the Marine, uh, I think it was it was the the Marine helicopter that flies the president around when one of the Marines standing there had lost his hat and blown off in the wind and Trump picks down, grabs the hat and puts it on the, on the Marines head. I mean, that, that's just a big difference between, you know, the president Trump and, and Obama. I mean, you'd never see something like that. Yeah. We, we, I, every politician knows Brandon is, as you well know that they, they have to say, Oh yes, I support the troops. So much respect for the troops, yeah. but the troops, the troops know when it's pro forma. And I think they know when it's yeah. really heartfelt. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you can say what you want about Trump, but he has this military. Um, he has a lot of respect for the military. And I think he sees uh, the tremendous sacrifice that the military men and women have made since 9-11 and the, and the fact that they're really being let down now by the Veterans Administration, an administration that is rife with fraud, waste, and abuse, uh, millions of dollars of waste, you know, a pain management program that turns veterans into victims instead of empowering them. They, they, they throw pills at them, and, and it's a big reason I'm going to give a shameless plug for our, our documentary. We, the guys and I made a, a documentary called Big Mountain Heroes, which comes out in the fall, all about using the outdoors as a form of therapy as, a, as opposed to medication and, and our motto in the, in the movie. is. Where, where can people go to see more of that or to see more about that, that whole process, Brandon? They can go see the, the trailer to our, our indie documentary. It's on YouTube. Just, just go search YouTube for Big Mountain Heroes. Uh, the documentary will be out this winter. It's about five special operations vets that go to charge uh, Big Mountain Alps, uh, ski and snowboard, and, and give these really in-depth interviews about their personal uh, transition into the military and how they use sport. And Sounds great, man. I, I will be there. I'm going to check it out, and everyone else should as well. Brandon Webb, former Navy SEAL, author of Among Heroes, and my friend. Thank you very much, man. Great to see yep. you, or great to talk to you, and I'll see you soon. Thanks, brother. Thanks, brother. Our team hitting a break. We'll be right back. Well, it was quite a day of news, team. I'm glad uh, we got to get through all of it together. I know for a Friday, it was it was a lot. Usually, I feel like I get to roll in on a Friday and kick the feet up on the desk, uh, hang out in the hut, chill with the team here a little bit, get excited about the weekend. Today, we, we had a lot of ground to cover, and as soon as I finish up in here, I get to go home and prepare for a move. I am moving uh, on Monday. Not that this affects the show or, or my work, because I'm just moving where I live. I'm moving from one very overpriced box in New York City to a slightly larger but still overpriced box in New York City. It did allow me, however, to purchase uh, my first actual couch as an adult. So I realized that I'm 35 and this is my first full... I, I had had a... I bought a love seat once. Not because I am so full of love or have a thing against full-size couches, but I did not own an apartment that had, or not own, I did not rent in an apartment that had the room for it. So I was able to go and get a, an actual couch, like a like an adult who has a job and a place for a couch, which was nice. These are the things that, when you're in New York City, get you excited. I know for the rest of the country, 
you're probably chuckling to yourself like, really? Couches? Oh, yeah. Once once you get a couch in your living space, you're you're definitely living you're definitely approaching adulthood. And once you have a washer dryer that you can call your own, it's it's the American dream. It's the American dream. We we, we don't have those sorts of things here in New York City. So those are those are the benchmarks of I wouldn't even call it success, just making it to to adulthood in some capacity. I know for many of you it's like having children, sending them off to college, uh, maybe getting a boat if you're into boating or something. In New York, it's, yeah, if you get a washer-dryer, then you've really managed to uh, accomplish something special and fantastic. Uh, but it was interesting as well because, you know, when you when you get ready to move, and I've moved uh, a lot of times. I've moved, well, I think I lived in three different places in Washington, D.C., and have lived in four or five different places in New York City. And so that's also one of the reasons why I've never really had much in the way of stuff. I don't really own a lot. Um, I've just got a bed and a desk. I've had the same old uh, wooden desk now for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. I, did I, I can't remember if I had it in college or not, or maybe it was just afterwards. But I've got a tremendous amount of uh, nostalgia attached to this old wooden desk, uh, which I should probably either uh, fix or or give away. But, you know, when you, when you move, you actually look over your stuff. Uh, you see what you have and what you're carrying around in life because for the first time, you, you've got to go. And, I, I mean, I'm telling you some things here. I've got a corner, for example, where it's – and this is in a very tight space – but it's just a corner where I stash stuff that I don't know where to put otherwise. You know, I just I just have a place where <laughs> I sort of uh, marked it off. And I, I should probably put biohazard tape around it or something because it, it is not, uh, well, uh, it's not organized. There, there is no method to the madness. It's just Buck's corner of stuff. But I started to go through it, and it's funny what you, what you find when you see that uh, when you're like me and, and you have – so little space to organize in the first place you can start to go through things and um i i, I come across old keepsakes things that uh, i picked up abroad um when i was in the cia uh pick up things from my time uh, working for the nypd you know just the, the things that you get when you're in a in a marketplace or you're in a foreign country and you're like ah oh, this will be a, a fun thing to bring home and you know, like how many, I mean, it's a fair question to ask, right? How many curved daggers and various uh, tribal knives can someone really pick up before they, they have enough of them? I mean, these are the things that when you move, you start to think about. Um, I also, you know, found old photographs. I think it's kind of funny. Uh, maybe some of them I'll actually take and put on, uh, take, I, I guess, take a photo of the photograph now with my phone would be the easiest way to do it and post them. Because who takes photographs anymore? And I was in a store and I was getting some of the things uh, that, you know, you need when you're, you're moving and getting into a you know, I need to get packing tape and boxes. And they were selling picture frames. And I was like, I got to think that the picture frame business has been under a lot of pressure. And, and since we all carry around photos with us all the time and we're, we're documenting our lives in a way that, well, 20 years ago, nobody it really could have dreamed of or, or thought would be where it is now. I mean, between all the social media platforms, you can see now that people's lives exist in this digital realm. Whereas in the past, if you had a really great photo, you know, that there was something, if you got a great family photo, uh, it was, it was like its own little personal piece of art. You really cherish it. I feel like now everyone's 
taking such great photos all the time because we've got photographic equipment and display uh, display capability ourselves. And, and I just thought it was kind of funny. I was like, so I guess maybe I could get a picture frame and blow up a photo just to have one in my home. I don't, I, I think I, I don't even, I might have two or th- two or three photos that I have up somewhere framed. Uh, you know, the other things I'm, I'm just coming to coming across, uh, the, the various iterations of Apple products, I, I stashed them in this drawer and I was going through it. I mean, I remember getting an iPod and it was the coolest. And I, I don't have the, I, I wish I did. They now go for a lot of money on eBay, actually. I don't know if it's for nostalgia purposes or it's because people just really uh, like having what is effectively a hard drive exclusively for music, which is what the original iPod, you know, the little wheel on it and everything. I think those go for real. They go for like a thousand bucks, maybe more on, on eBay. But I, I had the iPod Shuffle which was a tiny little thing that I clipped on my belt, and I found one of those. And I remember going to the gym, and I thought that was so, so cool. Um, and it was, I was like, I'm going to be using this for the rest of my life. You know, now on the, unfortunately these days, increasingly rare occasion that I get to the gym, I, I was really good for a while, but I've, I've fallen off in the last six months or so. Uh, I, I don't listen to music anymore. I actually, I actually like the, if I had my way, I'm not even sure there'd be any music on at the gym. I would just have, like, quiet <laughs> I'd probably, yeah, I know. They're looking at me like I'm weird. You can say that's weird. Yeah, I know. That's a little weird, right? But it's a little zen and tranquil, whatever. Fine. I agree. That's weird. But the music they play in the gym I go to, it's like the same CD, and I've just heard it all so many times, and it's not good. Um, oh, and of course, there's like little pieces of exercise equipment that uh, I've picked up over the years. And when I mean little, I mean things that you squeeze for wrist strength. Like, yeah, that's going to give me a six-pack if I squeeze this little thing enough that's uh you know a grip strengthener and uh, i'm trying to think of some other fun uh, you know stretch i've got i found some stretch bands i've used those never and the, the, you don't know about these things you don't think about it until you move and then all of a sudden you're like where where, where did i how late at night was it and how many rounds of tequila had i had when i thought it was a good idea to buy like that thing that's supposed to give me you know six minute abs or whatever I mean, look we've all been there there's a reason why those guys make millions of dollars on those ridiculous infomercials where they're like yes like you too will be a fitness model if you just buy this piece of plastic made in taiwan that doesn't really do anything um but anyway i've, I've gone through some of those and also of course you know you, you see uh i'm at the age now where i have clothing that is so old that it really is now uh, a question of is it is it going to come back into fashion right like it was kind of cool maybe 10 years ago and i'm like well do i hold on to this you know will there ever be a time again we're wearing two polo shots and pop uh, two polo shirts rather and popping both the collars will that be cool again and i think producer amy is telling me the answer is no that is unlikely to be cool and i think actually it was never cool is what i'm being told okay good talk good talk but maybe maybe you know maybe chambray shirts will make it come back you know you just you don't know you don't know it's a crazy world that we live in and so anyway i'm moving and if i find any really cool mementos maybe next week i'll do a little like bucks memento moment and i'll tell you if i find anything that's really funny um i mean i found a photo of me i mean i had a pet bird for a little while I mean, it was this is some crazy it's a crazy yeah his name was ace uh there's some crazy stuff going on in the world um in the world of buck so anyway, I will uh, I will leave it there, but I will be on the lookout this weekend for interesting uh, items that have a story attached to them. This is like my own version of Antique Roadshow, except it's just my stuff. Uh, please do download the podcast. Uh, go to Buck Saxon with America Now on iTunes. You can also 
Uh, go to bucksexon.com slash store, and you can buy T-shirts there, including Shields High, which is a T-shirt that we now offer up on bucksexton.com slash store. Uh, T-shirts have been flying off the shelves. I really appreciate that. Well, there's actually no shelves because of, you know, the Amazon Amazonification of the uh, the world that we live in now. But you know what I'm saying. They're, they're getting sold, so that's great. Uh, tell a friend about the show if you don't mind. That's the way we get the word out here. Uh, iHeart app allows people to listen anywhere across the country. It's a great way to listen. If you've got internet or cell access, you can listen on the iHeart app. I have a feeling we're going to have a very busy week next week, my friends, here in the Freedom Hunt. So until then, have a great weekend and shield high.